0: Matthew nineteen starting at verse sixteen. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? the man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and, live to the poor, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is God's Word.
1: Good evening, good evening. Great, great to welcome you. Great to, uh, to gather together. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father, here we have a magnificent promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful to be reminded or to hear that everything we leave in this life be it relational, brothers, sisters, financial, possessions, houses, money. We will be rewarded and received a hundred times more in the next life. So Father, as we've sung, would you uh, impress deeply into our hearts this evening that you are our delight and our reward. Would we know that in our heads? Would we uh, believe that in our hearts, we pray? Would Jesus become very much more precious to us so we can wean ourselves off the stuff of this world? Father, please, it requires a miracle of your grace to do that. Please be at work amongst us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a nice article in the paper last week, I don't know if you saw it, I enjoyed it. Uh, the, the heading was, Too much lolly can send you loopy. <clears throat> You wonder, is that true? But uh, too much lolly can send you loopy. And I gave a number of examples. Uh favorite was, uh, or the presenting issue that made the uh, the person write the article was Michael Flatley had been burgled. You know, Michael Flatley is, river dance, you know, da <laughs> And uh, off he goes, but he does that, and his legs are insured of about 10 million pounds or something, and mine are not. Um, but he was burgled, and a number of things were stolen from his house, including a rhino horn worth 200,000 pounds. Why would you buy a rhino horn for £200,000? Why would you do that? If you had £200,000, could you not think of something better to do than buy a rhino horn? I could. (laughs) But the point of the article is, if you've got got so much money, you do daft things with it. You possibly don't even know how to spend it. Can you imagine such a thing? You have other examples. You know, a guy bought a house for uh, £16 million in West London and spent another £16 million digging a basement for a cigar room and a yoga salon. I don't know if those two are meant to cancel one another out, or they're both different ways of relaxing, but you could just smoke outside. I'm not a great yoga expert, but you could do it in your lounge, I would imagine. But no, 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 60 million to build a basement for these things. So too much lolly can make you loopy. And it's easy for us to hear that and think, silly people, silly people. I would never be so silly with money you come to a passage such as this in Matthew 19, and I have to say, it's one of the Bible passages that I'm most familiar with, and yet this week I found it most deeply unsettling. Because here is a man who is delightful in many ways. He's a nice guy. He's moral. He's reverent. You'd like him if you met him. He's not bling-bling with his wealth and uh, naff about it. He's a good guy. And yet Jesus says to him, verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, then you have treasure in heaven, follow me. It's not enough. Nice guy, moral guy, generous guy, not enough. Got to get rid of everything. I find that a bit unsettling. I have to say, for myself. Now what you get in this, of uh, course, is uh, verses 16 to 22 are uh, the encounter with the young guy. Uh, and then 23 to the end, verse 30, uh, Jesus chatting it through with his disciples. And they're shocked and he decides not to put them at their ease, but make them feel even worse. So look forward to that. Okay. But first of all, in 16 to 22, the encounter with the young guy. Two mistakes he makes, two mistakes. He wanted life as a possession. And secondly, he was lacking wholeheartedness. So first then, verses 16 to 17, he wanted life as a possession. This is the first mistake he makes. Two mistakes. Here's the first. He wanted life as a possession. Verse 16 then, Jesus meets this young man. A young man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He is one of life's winners. That's to say, he's moral, he's successful, he's got great wealth. He's a good guy, he's sort of most eligible bachelor in Judea, you know, he's a good guy. And yet Jesus says, well, he's going to take him to task. No, no, he's a nice guy. I have to say for myself, I think he's probably a preacher's dream. What must I do to get eternal life? Not many people wander up to me and say that. Preacher, what must I do to have eternal life? I mean, that's a dream. doesn't get much better than that. And yet he's going to go away sad So Jesus says, well hold on a minute. You ask the question, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Uh, There's a problem there. You don't do good. And you don't get eternal life. There's two problems here, he says. Again, break them down. First then, what good must I do? It's not what you do. Jesus fundamentally, when we get down to it in verse 21, to be a believer, to have eternal life, you follow me. It's not about what you do in detail. You don't do good to get to heaven. It is a gift. Uh, none of you will remember, uh, in the 1960s, and nor do I. because uh, I wasn't literally there, but I have seen a number of times, uh, one of the, I remember they were on telly when I was growing up, repeats of uh, Hancock's Half Hour, he was the sort of most famous comedian of his day, best sitcom. Uh, Ronak Concern, et etc et cetera, of his day. And, uh, if you know anything about him, his most famous sketch or episode is called The Blood Donor. And, uh, you can go to YouTube and watch the whole of it. And it's still funny. it still make you laugh today. But the centerpiece of it, he's gone to give blood and he's very pleased with himself. The centerpiece of it is, uh, he's talking to the bloke next to him and he pulls out a little black book. And it says, yo, this is, in this I record everything good that I do. So uh, today I'll put in, given blood. Last week, gave two and six to the scouts. It's kind of old, i am told you that already. Uh, two and six to the scouts. Week before that, gave five pence to Christian aid. Uh, he goes on and on on a long list of uh, all the good and the virtuous things he's done. And he says, and one day, when I meet that great architect in the sky and he says to me, why should I let you into heaven? I'll say, have a look at that lot, mate. And um, obviously that to his mind, it says, I'll get into heaven because I've done loads of good things. Jesus, now hold on a minute. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Verse 17, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who is good. Uh, What? You'll never do good. Only one who is good. Uh, He's probably unsettled. So you don't do good to get eternal life. It is a gift. But secondly, the Jesus takes issue with get. (laughs) Um, So the question is asked, what good must I do to get eternal life? How do I acquire it? Literally, uh, the verb is, what good must I do to have eternal life? And then I think we're meant to notice right at the end, verse 22, the young man goes away sad because he had great wealth. Same verb, beginning and end. And it seems to be Jesus is saying, no, no, hold on a minute. You, You can't view eternal life as a possession. It's not just another thing. You enter into it. We're talking about a gateway here. This is a life you go into. You go through the door to eternal life. It's not just another thing. Uh, in our household, we quite like the board game, The Game of Life. I don't know if you've got it, played it. Um, we seem to have a slightly modern version compared to the one I remember when I was a kid. But anyway, if you know anything about The Game of Life, it's life. So you start off and you have a choice at the beginning. Do I go to university and take on debt? Uh, or do I just go straight into the workplace? Mm, realistic choice. Uh, and if you go to university, you take on debt. But you'll get a job which pays more. Um, uh, the, um, uh, at the end of it uh, in this game and you only get, I think it's £20,000 worth of debt. So wouldn't that be nice uh, to leave whatever it is, four years of university and that'd be the sum total, leaving that aside. Uh, but the way you win the game of life, you have to have a good career, you have to get promoted three times, you have to, um, so do well in your career, you have to visit different areas. So there's a city, zone, and then you have to fly to a jungle zone, and a snow zone, and a beach resort zone. So you've got to visit these four areas. And you start off with a car, which becomes a boat, and then a plane boat. Um, But you need to fill it, so you need to get married, and there are four pegs in the back seat. You either have four children or four pets, depending which square you land on. But if you're gonna win the game, career, promotions, uh, visit everywhere you want to visit in the world, have a family, and that's how you win the game of life. Brackets. I'm not entirely sure now I've thought about it, how good a model this is for children to be playing, and that's <laughs> you know, there's no God category or anything in there, in the end of tangent. But this bloke views eternal life, well, he's playing the game of life. So, uh, I'm successful, I've got loads of cash. Luke tells us he's a ruler, so he's doing well in his career. So cash, great, job, Great. Let's say family, perhaps great. There's just um, spiritual things, Jesus. You know, I've ticked every box. I've got loads of stuff relationally, satisfied, just spiritually. Can I, I want to tick that box too? I want to get eternal life. I want. There's a peg missing. There's a peg that's empty. I just want to fill that one. No. No, eternal life, a relationship with me, it's not just one more thing. That's a fundamental mistake. You don't just get or possess eternal life along with your other stuff. You give up everything for it if you're going to follow me. So if you think that Jesus can merely be an add-on to your life, that is a mistake. And I wonder, even within churches in this city, if it's a massively common misunderstanding. Life is good, generally, and I just need a bit of Jesus as well, just to sort of pad out. There's just a bit missing. I just want to add him on. You don't get, you don't have eternal life. You enter into it, and I want all of you so that's the first thing. He wanted life as a possession. Can I have eternal life, please? Not on your terms. Okay, he wanted life as a possession. First mistake. Second mistake. Verses 18 to 22. He was lacking wholeheartedness. Verses 18 to 22. He was lacking wholeheartedness. So, uh, on we go. Verse 18. Um, Okay, commandments, oh, I like commandments, I'm good at commandments, he says, verse 18. Which ones? Go on, I like this game. Which ones, the man inquired? Well, Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, oh, and for good measure, love your neighbour as yourself. So the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, fifth commandments. Why those ones? Why not one to four and ten? Well, I guess these are the ones that are visible. They're more objective markers. You know, am I someone who covets? Well, I'm going to have to think about that. Am I someone who's murdered? I kind of know that. It's a bit more obvious. Am I someone who steals? They're more objective markers. I think That's why Jesus throws these ones out. Now, to my mind, the guy's response in verse 20 is very strange. All these I've kept, the young man asked, or excuse me, said, what do I still lack? If you've kept them all, why do you think something's lacking? Again, there are a couple of things here. One, I think you probably lack self-awareness. Uniquely to Matthew, there are these five commandments. Mark and Luke record them as well. But Matthew chucks in, as well as them, love your neighbor as yourself. He's raising the ante. And this very wealthy guy says, yeah, I've done that. Oh, really? You're loaded. There are many neighbours you have around you who presumably are much poorer than you. Are you loving them in the same way you love yourself? Oh yeah yeah, I have. Oh really? I might suggest a lack of self awareness there. Anyone in this room gonna say they love their neighbours their self perfectly? I'd be surprised. He lacks self awareness. But also more interestingly, he lacks assurance. It's very striking. Yeah, I've kept all the commandments. What do I lack? There's something... Teacher, I know there's something not right. I'm just... I lack assurance that I've got it sorted out with God. I don't know if you saw... um watch, it's quite interesting, uh, there's a couple of times now, interviews between uh, Jeremy Paxman and Russell Brand, and at first glance you think, well that's a bizarre a mixed match, but actually you know, Russell Brand is clearly a very bright bloke, and so they've done a couple of interviews now, and the last one uh, made the press because uh, he was editing the, not Spectator, um, New Statesman, uh, he was editing the New Statesman, and Paxman said, do you vote? No, how can you edit a political magazine if you don't vote? Uh, and so sort of gave him a hard time, but then afterwards Paxman said, actually, I don't vote either, and everyone said, hypocrite, hypocrite. <laughs> um so it was in the news. But, uh, there was a very interesting exchange between, uh, the two of them in the middle of the interview. So, Jeremy Paxman. On page one of your book, you say you were determined to be famous. Are you satisfied that you've now achieved that? That's a brand. No, I'm bored. I longed for fame, but now I'm here, it's ashes in my mouth. All desire is the desire to be at one with God in substitute form. So perhaps we can draw attention not to the shadow on the wall, but to the source of light itself. How interesting. Uh, Paxman replied with incredulity, you know, he has that marvellous face as if someone sort of stuffed a load of rotting fish under his nose. You know, sort of, you you don't watch Newsnight, do you? Um, (laughs) LAUGHTER good for you. It turns you into the sort of man who rants and raves at the television. It's not good for your health. Anyway, but Jeremy Paxman replied with incredulity, you believe in God? Yes, said Russell Brand. What does that mean? said Paxman Brand. I pray. I meditate. I try to become a better person. I don't know what you make of that. But I think he's very close to the man in Matthew 19. I'm lacking something. I'm brilliant. I am wealthy and successful, and I've tried all sorts of things. I've risen to the top of the career, you know. I've, you know, obviously treated, slept with goodness knows how many women, and been in and out of marriage, which lasted less than two years. And now I'm editing political magazines. I've tried all sorts of things, but I, I lack something. Pray for the guy. I think he's very close to this man in Matthew 19. He knows something is lacking. Verse 21 is the killer line. Verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Perfect. That's okay. But but the word there, perhaps in this context, teleos, end thing, um, complete, wholehearted, maybe a better way of translating it here. If you want to be wholehearted, if you want to demonstrate an undivided loyalty to me, go, sell your stuff, give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven at that point, and you can follow me. Now look, two obvious mistakes you can make here. Uh, The one mistake would be, if you want to be a Christian, that's what you have to do. You have to sell everything. No possessions allowed. I don't think he's saying that for everyone. The other extreme, or the, other, the other end of the spectrum would be this has nothing to do with me. You don't want to be in either of those. But let me just run you through them. So first then, question, does a, does a Christian need to sell everything? No. You'll be relieved. Jesus never says this to anyone else. It's the only encounter where he says you've got to go and sell everything. And so it seems he's identifying a particular problem with this guy. Now the command at the end of verse 21, follow me, that is his general call. And certainly Matthew's gospel, that's the call he gives to the, di- the first disciples. So Peter and John, they're the fishermen, follow me. And they do, they leave their nets, their boats, they follow him. Uh, chapter 9, he says to Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. And he does, he gets up, leaves his tax booth and goes and follows Jesus. So that's the sort of general command, follow me. And Jesus is saying to this guy, for you to follow me, you need to have me ahead of money because that is an issue for you in your life and it's stopping you. Can a young man do that? Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Sad is a weak translation. He went away grieving. Same word used of parents losing their children. Grieving. He's very upset by this encounter, because he's torn in two. I, I want eternal life, but I- I'm not going to give up my money. And Jesus is saying, now you see the issue. See, this guy was very happy to give from his wealth. I take it if Jesus said to him, what you need to do is write a big check, 25% of your income, give it away. 50% of your worth, give it away. He'd have done that. The grand gesture, it was fine. But Jesus says, I want Everything. I don't want you to give from your money, I want you to give all of your money, all of your possessions. I can't, I can't do that. No, because fundamentally, money, eternal life, and that is your problem. You're trusting that, and so you cannot follow me. That's what Jesus is pointing out to him. You know, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus' call to follow me is refused. You've got to hear that warning. Money, possessions, are incredibly powerful at having a grasp of us. This young man thought he had money. The reality is that money had him, owned him. Ruled him. It's a slightly frightening. It is a frightening passage, isn't it? You and I can sit here and, and uh, or stand uh, and read it and say, "Oh, interesting. Here's a guy who was moral, religious. He would keep the commandments. If you let me, if you'd met him, you'd say he's a good guy. He's a wholehearted religious guy. Look at how disciplined he is in how he lives his life." That's all external. Internally, money ruled him. It's a frightening warning. So look, on the one hand, you you don't have to give everything. You don't have to sell everything to become a Christian. I think that is a command to this guy pointing out his problem. But don't go to the other end of the spectrum and say this has nothing to do with me. Now I think somewhat tragically, I've sat with wealthy guys seriously wealthy Christian men who have said this doesn't apply to me. This man didn't become a Christian because he loved money too much. I am a Christian who's put my faith in Jesus Christ therefore this passage doesn't apply to me because money hasn't stopped me becoming a Christian. Now I think if you get to the point where you're worth hundreds of thousands of pounds and think it's not, you know, it's not. I can rip that out of my Bible. It doesn't apply to me. You should be worried. I would fear for you, in truth. Great wealth stops him from getting near or putting his faith in Jesus. Rather, when the man, verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Well, that's okay, because I don't have great wealth, you might think, and so it doesn't apply to me. The problem is literally great wealth, Greek, the two words are many possessions. Ooh. Ooh. Because I don't have great wealth, but I do have quite a lot of possessions. I'm quite pleased of my album collection, shoe collection, whatever it is, jumper collection. Um... I don't have, oh, many possessions? Well, I'm not so sure I can wriggle out from that. That's what stops him. And of course, wealth is, it's relative. It's relative. Now, uh, a lot of people here are, yeah, so you're not earning. Another day, another dollar, sadly not. Another day, another day, nearer the dollar. That's thats encouraging for you. Uh, or indeed the pound or the euro, or uh, the Scottish groat, whatever it may be in those days. <laughs> Um, do you know in the UK the median wage is 26.5k? That is, you're right in the middle. So 50% of people earn less, 50% earn more uh, than you. If you're on 26 for what it's worth. Um, not that it really applies. To, I suppose to huge numbers here. But if you're earning 32k, that puts you in the top 25% of earners in the UK. 45k, the top 10%. 118k, good on you. Uh, you're in the top 1% of earners in the UK. If you just look sideways, you're never wealthy. There's always people more wealthy than you. If you look nationally, internationally, globally, we're wealthy. If you look sideways, no, you know, I'm poor. And, um, I don't know what your student accommodation costs or your uh, rental or your mortgage costs, uh, but if, if you're wanting a place to live, you could move in next door. You know, the church backs onto number 11 Brick streets. Uh, it's empty at the moment and you could rent it. Just 30k a week, the uh, the rent on uh, just to be clear, a week, 130k a month, that times 12 a year, whatever that is. Um, Yeah, you're no quicker than me. Come on, someone. Anyone challenging that? (laughs) At the staff, Um, uh, that's a lot of money. So you'd see him think, well, I'm not wealthy. God, you. I haven't got 30 grand a week to blow on accommodation. Well, who has? You know, it's easy. If you compare yourself with the super rich, of course you're not wealthy. But nationally, globally, well, maybe. And of course, we're always trying to wriggle out of things. Again, this young man thought he had money. Money had him. There's a sense in which uh, sometimes, you know, again, tangent, uh, the Bible is clear. money in one sense is neutral. Um, it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The people who have money and do wonderful things with it. Abraham is wealthy and doesn't seem to distort him. Job is very wealthy and righteously so. It's entirely possible to be that. But it's dangerous, is Jesus' point. It is a serious obstacle to discipleship. So there's a sense in which uh but it could be a bit compared a bit like the the Ring of Power in the Lord of the Rings. This is not it, this is a wedding ring. Uh and uh, believe me, I command nothing with it. The um, uh but you know in the Lord of the Rings, the Ring of Power, people want it. They want it. Because they can give it a habit. You know, borrow me. If I have the ring, wow, I could conquer Mordor and destroy evil. If I have the ring, I can make beautiful forests like Lothlorien and, you know, I can do. If I have the ring, I can use it really well. The problem is, when you get the ring, it has you. Over time, it corrupts you. Because it bends you to its will over time. it's not saying money always does that, but just watch out is Jesus' warning here. And so I guess the challenge for for you and for me is, do particularly for me, do I use my assets, my possessions, in a manner which makes my discipleship to Jesus obvious? Is it obvious in the way I use my assets that I, I love Jesus and use money for him? Or do I love money and use Jesus to kind of get me through? I was trying to turn to someone between the services. How do you know? I think sometimes you can't be crazy all of the time. It's, do I just live by faith and give everything away and I'm a freelancer? And says you, You've got to be wise and sensible and plan with money. You do have to do those things. But sometimes you've just got to teach your wallet a lesson. Just do give away more than you really think you want to. I don't want to give away that. Just do it. Teach your wallet a lesson. Say, wallet, Jesus is Lord, you are not. If you never do that, there's something lacking? I don't know. It's unsettling, isn't it? I think we're meant to be unsettled a little bit by a text such as this. And if you can read this and say, yeah, I don't think that's got anything to do with me, you need to pray. You need to pray that God will work in your heart. There's the two problems with this bloke then. He wanted life as a possession. Secondly, he was lacking wholeheartedness. Uh, two little things, far more briefly, um, the disciples in their response. So uh, first then, Jesus is going to say, it's, it's impossible for the wealthy to save themselves. 23 to 26. Impossible for the wealthy to save themselves. So, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you've ever heard that this story told you, well, this is because there was a gate into Jerusalem called the needle gate. And if a camel got down on its knees and you took the bag off the camel, if the camel humbled itself, it could get in. And therefore, if a rich man humbles himself, he can get into heaven. And that—that that is tosh. Jesus says very clearly, verse 26, it's impossible. He's not saying, "Wow, well, with a bit of effort, with a little bit of humility, you might be able to get in, if you take a pack off your back, if you get... Drivel. That was, an, that was a story told by a medieval preacher, and people have been repeating it ever since. Why? Because it just makes us feel a bit more comfortable. It's really hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's quite difficult. Oh, okay, it, we like that. He's not saying that. Not possible, is Jesus' point here. The disciples, their heads are spinning, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, (laughs) because in the context of their how they'd grown up as Jews in the first century, they assumed wealth. You're wealthy because God has blessed you. If God has blessed you, you must be all right for eternity. And Jesus comes to that and says, let me just smash right through that. And let you know, verse 30, many who are first will be last. Many who are last will be first. The powerful, the wealthy, the influential now, there is no correlation between triumph in this life and your place in the next. Indeed, many who have lots here and now will be the last in the kingdom of heaven and many who have nothing will be raised to greatness. How? Well, because the great ones in the kingdom of heaven, we're told just before this, that little story, the little children and Jesus. Verse 14, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these dependent people people who say, I need help. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who cling to the Lord. Say, I need you, Lord. I need Jesus to save me. I need you to help me in my career. I need you to hold my family together. I need you. Those who are dependent are the great ones. And you may have nothing in life, but if you cling to the Lord, depend upon him, honour him, you'll be great in in the kingdom that is to come. And that's what he's saying. So question How can a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven? Answer, he needs a miracle. Verse 26, with man this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Jesus is a God of the impossible. Pray that he'll do a miracle. It's very hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet the encouragement comes right at the end. Verses 27 to 30. Everyone who sacrifices will be rewarded. Verse 27. Peter answered him. You've got to love Peter. We we all love Peter, don't we? Peter comes in. But we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Jesus is very gracious. He doesn't say, oh, shut up. He's very gracious. He says, yeah, you're right. Essentially, he says, yeah, I notice. Any sacrifice that is made for me, I notice them and reward you. Verse 28, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, the twelve disciples, will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There'll be a special place for you. I know what you've done. And then for everyone, more general, verse 29, everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, fields, for my sake, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and inherit eternal life. You know, Jesus is not an insurance company. He doesn't say, well, if you sacrifice things now, I'll compensate you. It'll probably be a little bit less than they're worth because that's how we make our margins in the insurance business. But, you know, there'll be compensation. He doesn't say that. He says, you give up anything, I'll reward you a hundred times. He's saying there's no comparison between what you relinquish now and what you gain then. Isn't that wonderful? There's no comparison between the two.
0: Of
1: course, Jesus, he concludes, it's not just financial. There may well be a relational cost involved in following him. Some friendships may wither. Some mates might dislike your Christian faith. But it begins and ends with, I guess, possession terms, houses, fields. But essentially, you do see what he's saying there, don't you? You cannot lose. You cannot lose with Jesus. Whoever gives these things up will receive a hundredfold in the future and eternal life. He's saying, transfer your assets. Take them out of the bank of self. Put them into the bank of Jesus Christ. And the dividend is exponential you cannot lose. Jesus says, follow me. Of course, the primary sense in which he says that is, put your trust in me, put your faith in me, trust that I have died and risen for you, and that is the only way you can have eternal life, by trusting in me. But there is also the sense, follow my pattern. Because Jesus Christ, of course, he left the palace of heaven. He left his father. He left comfort and ease and glory and came down and died for us. Now, of course, it's a wonderful act of kindness and mercy, but we're also his reward. He did it for us. So he would enjoy us in eternity. And he's saying, follow me. Give up stuff now. It might look like an enormous amount, but in eternity, you will never regret it. It is the wisest transaction you will make in your life. Just a moment of confession for me, from me. Uh, I looked up Brick Street, so you know, he said, oh, it's on, it's on the internet, that's interesting. How much it? Oh, golly, 30 grand a week. That's some, in- oh, pictures, let's have a look. And um, this is unhelpful of me to tell you, but there we go. There are 15 pictures of the interior of that house, and you can look. It's magnificent. You know, seven bedrooms, all ensuite. suite. These enormous wooden tubs you can get into, apparently, which is a bath. It took me ages to work out what it was. <laughs> you drive in, there's a car stacker there. You drive your cars and stack them up. Why have one car when you can have five and stack them up in a little machine, like a dinky car, a uh, thing like that? Swimming pool, it's magnificent. And uh, I didn't want to live there, but you would find it would be quite fun having a weekend with a bunch of mates in a place such as that. Uh, and of course it's covetous and it's hopeless. But the only reason it was helpful was because it's a luxury beyond anything I'll know. And I said, you just multiply that by a 100 and know that that's what awaits you, if not more. So if you're naughty enough to also go and have a look at 11 Brick Street... <laughs> and compare it to your accommodation now, just think, this is nothing. This is a cigarette paper worth of difference compared to what I have now and what I'll have in eternity if I wholeheartedly follow the Lord Jesus. Follow me. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we don't like this encounter, certainly I don't like this encounter, uh, because I'm quite a nice bloke and uh, can be moral and keep commandments, but the, the, the prospect of everything, it's unsettling. Father, would you, by your mercy and kindness, expose our hearts, help us understand if money has got a grip, upon us that's not that we have money but it has us, it owns us we love it more than we love you would you expose our hearts to us we pray and do the even greater miracle of dethroning possessions from the throne of our heart and placing or replacing Jesus there we pray so that we will be those who wholeheartedly live for him Trust in him and look forward to the reward he will grant us, we ask in his great name. Amen.